On this episode of Tamarindo, we are going to talk about environmental racism and environmental justice. We are joined by Claire Woods, the Senior Attorney and Director of Environmental Justice Policies and Programs at Greenfield Environmental, who's going to break it all down for us. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast, hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder, and me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show! Welcome back, Tamarindo Amiguis, to the latest episode of Tamarindo. How are you, Brenda? <laughs> Hello. I, I'm fantastic. I, I'm up early, obviously, recording this, this podcast episode, but I'm fantastic because I went to go see In the Heights yesterday. Matraca te da. Did you love it? I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I know I have it. I yes. absolutely loved it. Everyone, if you're listening, go watch that movie. It's just such a great joy. It's the first movie I've seen uh, in a movie theater post-pandemic. And it was just so joyful, so wonderful. And I'm such a basic bitch because, of course, whenever they had the Mexico <laughs> flags, I was like, ah! So anyways, loved it, loved it. You're going to cry, but you laugh, you cry. Well, I don't know if you cried, but I don't uh, know if no, you're, you're not cry. in the movies. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, no, it was really, really good. I loved it. It was super cute, very touching. And how about you? ¿Qué pasa contigo? ¿Qué pasa conmigo? Well, I had my first, well, you just did your first movie since COVID. I had my first like group friend hang. I, it just so happened that so many of my, like several friends ended up being in Mexico City the same weekend. So we all got to hang out together and it was so amazing and also like a little bit surreal. I felt like I had to like touch their face. Like, is this real? Are you real? Yeah, are you real? <laughs> Let me pinch you. Yes, it's so wonderful. It was really beautiful and magical how we ended up being there. And they're all friends from college too. And it was, it was dope. Um, Beyond that, it's Pride Month, y'all. Yes, it's still Pride. Anna Shayla, um, we're able to, I'm able to see Anna Shayla by the magic of the internet. And so she signals to me when to do the matraca because she doesn't have one, y'all. She doesn't have one yet. <laughs> you can't see, but she's signaling to me. Okay, yeah. well, yes, yes. Matraca to Pride. What are your thoughts on Pride continuation? Yeah, so I'm I'm a little triste because, I, as y'all know, I'm, I'm living in Mexico City. And, um, you know, the, the celebration is not happening live because, as y'all know, Mexico is behind on vaccination. So it's just not safe to, to do that just yet. And so I'm going to find my own way to, to, to really celebrate the month. Y también, I always take it as a month to really reflect on, you know, where I've been, where I am in terms of my journey. Like, I'm continuing to push myself to be more bold and in my queerness because I know that there's still things that I'm getting over, still some, like, internalized shit, you know? So I'm pushing myself to be more bold. You know, y'all see me post pictures and, th and things like that sometimes, but it's it's it still takes work like internal work to to get over some of the discomfort in terms of being fully myself on the streets on the gram on the sea right and also it's an opportunity for us to keep advocating as we see some of the the rollback of a lot of rights and and we see this attack on trans rights so continuing to see how we can advocate for for all of our communities 
Wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much. And if you all caught the last episode, which was a wonderful conversation with Ana Sheila, the first time that there was a Tamarindo Pride. And yes, we just want to give a matraca to Ana Sheila for showing strength and vulnerability because we know that means so much to our listeners. So muchas gracias, Ana Sheila. So what do we have today? So today we are going to talk about environmental justice and along with that environmental racism. And which describes the fact that people of color and low-income people are most likely to be situated near sources of contamination and away from clean water, air, and soil. So research by the LA Times finds that in the U.S., the best predictor of whether you live near a hazardous waste site is the color of your skin. That is wild, but not surprising, right? This is America. So not from not far from where I live here uh, in the very Latinx community of, of Vernon here in Los Angeles County, families have been waiting for over three years to have lead contamination cleaned out of their community. The contamination came from the Exide plant, which melted down used lead acid car batteries. Uh, you don't want that in your backyard, but that's what these families had in their backyard, which state regulators had allowed to operate on a temporary permit for more than three decades. So state regulators were like, yeah, that's dirty, but you keep doing it. And then they kept letting them do it for over 30 years. It's crazy, right? And um, what can I tell you more about this? Despite a history of air pollution and hazardous waste violations, you know, they were still continued to operate. Exide was uh, able to operate. It California Health Department analysis found that nearly 300 ch children under six years old living near Exide have elevated blood lead levels in 2012. This is you know, we've known this for a while. The last year that the plant was in full operation in 2020, a court allowed Exide to walk away from its clean up responsibilities, leaving us, the taxpayers, with the bill to clean this up. And I wanted to echo this uh, example or, or highlight this example because A, many of us have heard of it because it's in our own backyard, but two, because you see the failures of the government time and time again and erroring on the side of corporations. And this is an example of environmental racism at play. And unfortunately, as the nation points out, this is there's nothing new. This has been happening for, for decades and decades. And uh, a few... Uh, insights here about specifically about the U.S. 56% of the population near toxic waste sites are people of color. People of color have 38% higher nitrogen dioxide exposure compared to white people. They're two times more likely to live without potable water and modern sanitation. And 95% of people of color that have claims against polluters denied by uh, the Environmental Protection Agency. Yeah. So we wanted to, to spend a little bit of time learning more about and environmental justice and racism, um, what's happening, and the work of environmental justice organizers. So we invited Claire Woods to be on the show and a little bit about Claire Woods. She's, so she works on, on environmental justice through her, her practice of law. So she's a lawyer. She's a senior attorney and director of environmental justice policies and programs at Greenfield, Greenfield Environmental. But before that, she was working for the Natural Resources Defense Council, where she was leading litigation on advocacy efforts to secure safe drinking water curb air emissions, protect species, and maintain critical environmental protections for communities. And she first started her environmental justice work over 10 years ago, working in the U.S. Department of Justice, where she was representing the U.S. in lawsuits to enforce the Cleaner Act and the Clean Water Act, which are some of our longest standing um, you know, policies back from the, the 70s and 80s, I believe. So that's who we'll be speaking to today, and uh, we'll get right into that interview. 
Yes, we're very excited to bring her on. She's going to help us kind of understand a little bit other examples of environmental racism and actually some of the work that she's done in the trenches on behalf of, of people of color. Just really kind of, you know, we read a bunch of stats for you, but really kind of help us see the examples of, of it at play and some of the work of leaders like her and how we could get involved and support uh, organizations that are doing the right work so that we can eliminate this environmental racism and fight for environmental justice. So can't wait to have you all listen to this conversation that Anna Sheila had with Claire. We're so happy to have Claire Woods on Tamarindo with us today. And this is I'm so excited because this is something we've been wanting to talk about forever. And Claire, I think you and what you do is amazing. I don't think I've ever told you that, but I think that. <laughs> so thank you so much for making the time for us. Thank you so much for having me here, Anna Shayla. It's great to be here. And I'm a, a listener and I'm glad to be joining as a as a participant. Yeah, matraca to Claire being a listener to friends supporting friends. <laughs> and so I should share that Claire and I did go to college together and we've gotten to know each other a little bit more living in L.A. recently. And one of the things that I, I love about you is how you lead by example. So just from the time that I feel like we've spent together, you've inspired me to continue to be more intentional about my relationship with the planet, but also more importantly, to start to pay more attention to what's happening at a policy level and, and how that affects our our communities. And so I want to get started. You know, you've been doing this work for over 10 years now, and I would love for you to share with our listeners about why you work in the space of environmental justice. Sure. I'd love to tell you all a little bit more about my work and the reasons why I do it. Um, I do this work because the environmental and health and economic burdens of pollution and contamination, um, they fall almost entirely on communities of color. Contaminated sites and industry are disproportionately located in black and brown communities. And so that means that people of color, black and brown people are paying for industry with their lives and with their health. And even though my, my work right now focuses on contaminated sites, environmental racism extends well beyond those types of facilities. In every single environmental context, um, our communities are forced to risk their health uh, for industry profit. So, for example, transportation quarters, highway networks, warehousing facilities, port complexes, all of these spew pollution into the air, and they're often located in black and brown communities. Um, and EPA's findings show that non-white people, especially black people, face higher risks from pollution, and specifically from air pollution, and even face a greater risk of premature death um, than those who live in predominantly white communities. So let's be clear, these are not just coincidences. They're happening because of systemic racism. And this systemic racism has resulted in federal policies and local policies um, that really don't protect people of color in this country. And they also happen because of land use decisions that our local governments make that have historically prioritized business, industry, commercial development over actual health and welfare of people. Um, and they happen also because industries build facilities in communities where they don't think people have enough political capital or power to fight against the harms that they bring. 
So those are just a few of the reasons why I do this work. I I really want to dedicate my career to fighting against those evils. Thank you so much, Claire. And thank you for giving us that that overview. I know that I, I feel like that only in the last few years have I realized how much communities of color are really carrying this this burden and how um, really, um, yeah, environmental justice and a lot of environmental issues um, are rooted in systemic racism, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and actually, a lot of us are familiar with what's happened in Flint, Michigan, and, and the drinking water crisis there. A Michigan civil rights panel actually found that the crisis, that they that they called it being rooted in, in systemic racism. And, um, you know, a lot of us know about that case. And I'm, I'm curious if you can share another example that you want to highlight that we need to be paying attention yeah, to. Right sure. Now. I mean, there's a clear connection between racism and environmental uh, burdens and environmental pollution, toxic contamination in this country. Um, you can just look at where facilities are located, where we have these sites And it's, like I said before, almost always in black and brown communities. And that's for the reasons that I mentioned, because, um, you know, companies, even local government think it's easier. And it is often easier to site facilities in communities that are focused on putting food on the table versus, you know, mounting a massive PR campaign against toxic contamination. Um, So you asked about um, another you know, something, I mean, there's so many examples that are similar to the drinking water crisis in Flint, Michigan. Unfortunately, I mean, it's, it's, it's devastating to say that. The levels of lead in Flint's drinking water were extraordinarily high. And the whole situation could have been avoided. Um, if people had been trained, people were in charge and were paying attention to the types of um, treatment that the water was undergoing. Um, and unfortunately, that just didn't wasn't happening in Flint, Michigan, and they changed the water source and didn't adequately treat the water, which caused the lead pipes to corrode and the lead would enter into the water and the water would then be brought to residents' taps. And that's how lead ended up in, in the drinking water in Flint. Um, there are, like I said, many other examples. Um, one example that really comes to mind for me is the Newark safe drinking water crisis which is a case, it's a piece of litigation that I worked on for many years during my time as a senior attorney at Natural Resources Defense Council. I led our litigation and advocacy efforts to really curb the levels of lead in the drinking water in Newark, New Jersey. The the levels at the time that I first got involved in around 2016 were astronomically high. And there's no safe level of lead, especially for kids. Lead causes all sorts of conditions it um, interferes with bl- brain development. It can even, there are even studies that say that it leads to exposure to lead in your youth, leads to higher rates of incarceration in adulthood. So it's no wonder that some of our communities are really suffering um, when, they're, when their children are exposed, you know, generations of children are exposed to lead in drinking water. Um, and so when I first got involved in Newark, we started investigating. We started looking at the publicly available data on the state's Drinking Water Watch website and started noticing that the concentrations were extremely high. Um, they, When I first started looking, we were looking at about 25 parts per billion. And like I said, there's, you know, no safe level is safe. No level of lead is safe. 
And um, those levels rose over time as we proceeded into the litigation to the 50s and 60s parts per billion range. And this happened over the course of um, two or three years. And so by the end of the case, um, the city of Newark and the state agency settled with Natural Resources Defense Council as well as our um, our clients, uh, and our clients were the Newark Education Workers Caucus, and they were really instrumental in bringing this case to the public attention. And as part of the settlement, um, the city committed to begin treating the water with corrosion control treatment, which is that chemical that they need to add to the water in order to prevent corrosion of lead pipes. And they also committed to remove a number of lead service lines um, and those are the lines that connect um, the the main line that runs down the street to the meter in the bottom of your in your of your home, and so that was a, a big win for residents of Newark and for our clients Newark Education Workers Caucus. But Flint and Newark are just two examples. These issues happen in older cities, in um, black and brown cities, in cities that are struggling economically all over the country. And I always encourage people to get their water tested. Um, you know, just order a test if you can. There are some websites that will allow you to order pay-what-you-can tests. Um, uh, for example, Healthy Babies Bright Future is a website you can go to and order a test on a pay-what-you-can basis. And I always encourage people to do that, to try to take a look at what's in their water. Great recommendation. And I, it was amazing to hear about your work, but also at the same time, disheartening to hear how this is just like a few examples of things that are all happening across the country in our most vulnerable communities. And, and one of the questions I have is, yeah, what are some of the biggest challenges that, that you've faced, uh, you and, and other people that are, that are working on, on these issues? So the case that I just talked about was, um, was against the Newark city government and the state government as well. But most of my cases have been against industry, against corporations, against companies that pollute in communities. Um, and I think the biggest challenge that I have faced in my career is the resource discrepancy between big industry and the organizations that I've worked for. Both, you know, I've worked I started my career at the U.S. Department of Justice and then went to Natural Resources Defense Council, a nonprofit, um, before I moved out of litigation and moved on to Greenfield, uh, which is a trust group, and that's where I am now. Um, and you know, in all, in 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 both of those places where I was litigating, I was always struggling to keep up with the amount of resources, the number of attorneys, you know, the capacity that they had to really drown us in work, um, in busy work sometimes, in order to distract us from the ultimate goal, which was to secure a settlement or to win a, a, a lawsuit in order to support the community that was suffering. And the fact that people can live with themselves that, you know, sleep in their, in their beds at night and do that kind of work, it's, it's, I don't know how they sleep at night. It's a special kind of ugly. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. That, thank you so much for calling out that resource discrepancy. That is so important. Um, and I want to come back to that. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Claire Woods. Harry Lopez and I have a lot in common, but an important thing we share is our mission to bring generational wealth and healing to nuestra gente. 
This is what it's all about for us, to help our comunidad get free and unlock their greatest potential. Together, we're leading Lanzate Launch Latinx, a 10-week transformational coaching program starting on July 11th. Lanzate is for aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, creators, and side hustlers who want to start or grow their businesses and amplify their impact in their communities with other visionary Latinx and BIPOC leaders. And Launch Latinx is not just a regular coaching program. This is a holistic transformation program grounded in the fundamentals of deep inner work as critical to creating the vision and impact you desire in your life. So Launch Latinx will push you to set and meet one audacious goal for your business and life for the next 10 weeks and learn techniques to remove conscious and unconscious blocks and barriers that are standing in your way. It will help you adopt tangible business systems and tools to launch or scale your business and challenge you to step into radical, authentic leadership and self-expression. And most importantly, it will transform you. Here are just a few of our former clients and the movements they've created. Sonia Alejandra Sanders created and grew the Mujeron movement. Erica Cruz created the purpose-driven Latina coaching program, created over 30K in revenue, and quit her 9 to 5. Eliana Murillo launched Latinas Who Brunch, grew her tequila biz, and left her 9 to 5 at Google to be a full-time serial entrepreneur, and many more. So whether you just have a dream or already have a business and are looking to scale, we can support you. What are you waiting for? Lanzate. The program starts on July 11th, and we're taking applications now. To learn more about the program and schedule your interview by June 29th, go to www.launchlatinx.co. Again, www.launchlatinx.co. Abrazos! We look forward to seeing your application and going through your transformation together. Bye, y'all! All right, I'm back with Claire, and we were talking about how it can be really hard doing this work because of the resource discrepancy and how much money and resources industries have. Um, but what are you? What do you feel encouraged by? What have you been seeing that really encourages you and gives you optimism in, in some of your work? Well, we just got some incredible news last week, which is that the developer of the Keystone XL pipeline. Um, which was a project that aimed to carry oil from tar sands in Canada into the United States, was canceled, which is... Um, <laughs> that, I don't have my matraca, but that's a big... I'm making a matraca noise because that is incredible. It is really, really <laughs> wonderful news, and it's encouraging. It's a huge win for um, people who care about protecting species, but it's also a huge win for all of us because it's a huge win against climate change. I mean, this projects like the Keystone XL pipeline are proven uh, to contribute to climate change and increasing temperatures on this planet. So canceling projects like the Keystone XL pipeline, it's just, it's, it's really encouraging. And just to bring it back to the last point about challenges that we face, I mean, Keystone XL is a great example of a project that environmentalists have been fighting for I think more than a decade. And it's been it's been tough. There's been wins, there's been losses. It's been hard-fought litigation um, from some of my former colleagues who I really respect um, and, and others as well. And um, it took 10 years to win this fight. And it took a lot of late nights, a lot of frustration. And the fight is up against um, 
industry, the, the oil industry, the oil and gas industry, which has enormous resources. So despite that resource discrepancy, with time and perseverance, uh, we were able to prevail. And that's just so encouraging, so exciting, and it's a lesson in the value of perseverance and, and continuing to move forward. Yeah, what a beautiful, just what a beautiful story, I think, because I think you've shared so many people worked to to for this result, right? Activists, organizations, yeah, beautiful. So I think at this point, if y'all are listening to this episode, I think, I, unfortunately, I feel like when it comes to environmental justice, racism, a lot of times we don't have a lot of information around what's happening in our communities. And I think part of that is because a lot of us are dealing with so many other issues already. And sometimes I think um, maybe like getting involved with the environment feels like one more thing and it can feel overwhelming. And so for, I think that though, that for a lot of people listening, this might be a good wake up call or maybe really inspiring people that wanna get more involved in issues, environmental justice and racism. So for some of our listeners, do you have any recommendations for how they might, how they can start to get involved? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I really encourage everyone to jump in. I mean, these if issues affect our communities. And so it's so important for us to have a voice in what happens. And that's also part of why I do this work. And I encourage all of you to learn, learn more about environmental justice and environmental racism. So one thing that you can do just to get started is to follow organizations, follow local EJ organizations um, in your EJ is environmental justice. You follow local environmental justice organizations in the city where you live. Um, if you're in Los Angeles, where I am, you can follow East Yards Communities for Environmental Justice on Instagram or Center for Community Action and Environmental Justice or even California EJ Alliance. Those three organizations are doing incredible work in the Los Angeles area and across California. And you can, you know, just follow them on Instagram and learn more about the advocacy that they're working on, how to support their campaigns. You can attend community meetings. You, they, many of them have trainings that you can attend. You can learn about facilities in your communities or communities that you care about. You can sign petitions that they put together. And you can and should donate to their cause and, and to support their mission because a lot of them are functioning on really, really tight budgets and need all the support that they can get to really um, to really fight these issues, these really important issues that affect real people in real lives. Thank you, Claire. Um, that is a great start, and we will be including those resources in our show notes. So uh, we've got to the point in our show where we like to ask our guests some rapid-fire questions. So first up, we have uh, our matraca. So matraca is something that you are loving right now, and it can be person, place, thing, concept, silly or serious, whatever you're just loving right now. So what do you want to give your matraca to? <laughs> yeah, so I am a lover and protector of the environment, but if I wasn't an environmentalist or an environmental advocate, I would be some sort of veterinarian or animal lover. Um, I love animals. And so something that I'm loving right now is all of the people who have rescued animals during the pandemic and all of the extra love they're getting from all of the the new family members they've brought into their homes. Oh, beautiful. Uh, I'm an animal lover, but my girlfriend even beats me there. We've actually, during the, while we've been in Mexico, we've actually fostered two puppies and she just rescued a kitten that almost was Aww. almost run over yesterday. <laughs> I yeah. wish I could foster, but my dog is, um, has 
behavioral issues, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So next up is our basura. So what do you want to put in the trash in la basura? Okay. I hope my mom isn't listening, but um, seeking input from my mother on my relationships. <laughs> That's going. <laughs> That's going in the trash. She has too many of too many opinions. Okay. <laughs> she doesn't she doesn't know where to stop basically. <laughs> yeah. I feel you. <laughs> All right. And then lastly, what is giving you calma and what we mean by that is what is keeping you grounded these days? Sometimes I find myself just in the morning having my coffee, getting in a routine of scrolling on Instagram before I start my day and I really don't feel like that's a great way to start my day. Um, and so just recently I started keeping a gratitude journal and I write down just 10, 10 things every morning that I'm grateful or thankful for. And sometimes they're almost exactly the same as the day before. Um, and sometimes they're new and different and it's, it's been a nice way to kind of frame my day and look, you know, think about positive things at the start of my day. Right. That is so beautiful. And we are big proponents of that on Tamarindo. And I myself had to break that same practice because I, I also used to start my day like that. And I noticed that I was starting with anxiety. And I was like, this is not, if I'm starting this way, how is my day going to continue? And so that's so beautiful. Um, it's not good. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. Gratitude is so beautiful. And I know you said that sometimes they're the same, but even when things are the same, they're still like, you still feel something even if it's the same things that you're grateful for every day right true yeah well beautiful well i just want to thank you claire well actually before we go is there anything um you want to highlight anywhere that people can find you and to read more about your work or anything that you want to take a, a second to promote <laughs> i don't have anything i don't know i don't i <laughs> no i don't have anything <laughs> Well, you know what? If y'all want to read more about Claire Woods, she had a fantastic feature. What was it? What was the... Um... I've been... Okay, so... Okay, this is a good one. Okay. Um, I'm on the Council for the Little Market, which is a nonprofit that seeks to support women artisans all over the country. And I've done a couple of pieces for them, including an interview with uh, my girlfriend from college, Mina Harris, and... Um, You can also look at me on their website. There's a, a feature on my my environmental work. So that that might be something to check out. Yes. If you weren't an environmental uh, justice lawyer or veterinary veterinarian, I can't say that word. <laughs> She could also be a model, y'all. So y'all can check out <laughs> that website to, to learn a little bit starting, more. Starting my, now that I live in LA, starting my modeling yeah, yeah. career. <laughs> She is. So watch out. Her, her Instagram page will be public soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, Claire, for all of your work. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really nice chatting. Yeah, same. Thanks again. Bye. And we're back. We hope that you enjoyed that conversation. I learned a lot and it was just, it really hit home how important the work that people like Claire are doing 
is for our communities because there are so many cases across the U.S. that are disproportionately affecting our communities and there aren't enough people working on it. And, and one of the things she called out is this issue of resource discrepancy, like the organizations, you know, often, yes, the government, but a lot of times nonprofits are at the helm of this, right? They don't have the same resources, um, money, connection, whatever, as a lot of industry that's fighting against them. And so it really pointed out how important anyone that is doing this work is to helping our communities have safer and healthier environments and, and a, a longer life potentially. And so it really made me want to get more, more involved. Yeah. So I want to give my matraca to people like Claire who spent her career working on environmental justice issues that disproportionately are affecting our, our communities. And often while being one of the few women in the room and definitely often also the only black woman. So, and I know that can be exhausting and the work that she does can be exhausting, right? Because one of the things she shared on, on the interview is a lot of times fighting against these issues is a several year process. So that can be really exhausting. So the work that she's doing is exhausting as being one of the few women of color, but it's also exhausting because a lot of times they don't see results from the work for several years, you know? Yep. The difficult work. And I know I'm always very overwhelmed. I mean, anytime I watch any documentaries about the environment and it's, it can be very daunting and has certainly factored into my, my decisions to not procreate, but I am so glad for the Claire's in the world because there is, there is good work happening and we could all support it. So Ana Sheila, um, you got a calma for us this episode? Yeah. So again, I was super inspired by Claire to be more intentional about how I'm getting involved, but we also want to commit to doing some things. Um, and so we're going to do a reto. Yeah, so it's been a while. So glad to bring this back. So um, reto or a challenge. Anna Shayla introduced these to, to the show and we're so glad to bring them back and maybe we'll bring them back a little bit more often. But it's us committing to do something but inviting all of you to commit to do this challenge or reto. So um, so hopefully y'all can do this with us. And we've done some really fun ones, like for example, the no spend money for a week or <laughs> stuff like that. So what do we have for this today that's related to our topic? Our reto is going to be an environmentally focused. And the reason this is a really a calma is that retos like this, they make you actually reflect on your actions, right? Because sometimes we do things without thinking. So retos invite us to be intentional and present with our actions. So what I'm going to commit to doing is I'm not going to, for a week, I'm not going to get any um, takeout. So to limit how much trash I'm creating. And um, I'm also, some of you might have not known, but in the past I was vegan. Uh, I haven't been vegan since I've been in Mexico, but I'm going to bring back um, Meatless Monday and Friday. So two days that I won't eat any meat, um, just to be more intentional, because I've noticed that since I've been here, I've been a little bit less intentional about how I'm consuming food. So those those are my my commitments. How about you, Brenda? Those are such great commitments. It is it is really hard to see how much waste comes when you uh, get takeout. So something that I, a little simple thing to add to that, if you are getting takeout, of course, with the pandemic, so many of us took a little bit more, is letting them know, hey, I don't need utensils. You know, the, my uh, my favorite coffee shop. Look, they get a free plug. Monarca. They always give like the little plastic stopper. And like, I don't need it. I'm going to drink it right away. So I've been telling them from the front end, I don't need that little plastic stopper. So thinking of little, little things like that. Thank you. That's a, it's a good reto. So what I already do is, um, 
I once stayed at a friend's house and they let us stay at their house and they had no paper towels and they had no um, napkins. And that's because it's their intentional. They were intentional about that, about not creating that waste. So ever since we stayed at their house and functioned normally with just using rags, my house also doesn't have uh, paper towels and also doesn't have napkins. So that's a little thing that I could do. One thing that I uh, that will be my reto, that's, that's a challenge. That's something that I've been wanting to do, but just have been too lazy to take the steps to do it i want to look into composting because we you know we generate yes. a lot of waste with that and i live in a little apartment but i hear it's possible an apartment that i own that i pay way too much money for but it's an apartment really um i want to look into um into what it takes to do some composting so we'll report back in the next episode and we'll tell you if we did it <laughs> yes we'll tell you if we did it because now we record weekly y'all so um this was so much fun. And, you know, we also didn't get a chance to talk too much about this, but we'll tell you that we are recording this um, uh, after having done a really awesome storytelling event. Uh, just want to give a matraca to our storytellers that participated in all, all, our, of, all of our attendees. And that's just another example of some of the awesome free and low cost Usually they're all free activities that we do uh, at Tamarindo, community building activities that we do. And of course, this podcast is a labor of love. So I would like to invite you all to please contribute, whether it's $5, $10. We've got a couple of hundred dollar donors. I really appreciate you all that have done that for us. It's super, super helpful because we put in so much work. You have no idea how much work goes into this lovely podcast. And we really, really, really appreciate your support. You got anything to add to that, Anna Shayla? If, um, you know, money is is an issue obviously we love we love love in in all in all the forms so however y'all can show us your support we appreciate it what are some free ways that they can help they can share episodes we definitely want y'all to be sharing more more episodes let people know what episodes you love um definitely give us reviews we love love reviews every time it feels like a little love note like i'm getting a valentine's day card (laughs) you have no idea yeah it's so wonderful when we get those love notes and that costs no money so yes it's a love note okay with that Anna Shayla, it was good to see see you on this video and guess what i'm gonna see you in person i'm gonna be in mexico city very soon we're gonna be recording live from mexico next week so stay tuned for that yes i love the, the vaccinated life the vaccinated life okay everybody bye y'all Tamarindo Podcast is part of Sonoro Media. It is hosted by Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Producer Jeff provides original music and Michelle Andrade edits the show. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and on Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. Support our show by sharing this episode with a friend, writing us a review on Apple Podcasts, or contributing financially to the show. All contributions, big or small, help us keep bringing you great conversations and free or low-cost events. To get in touch with us or to support us, please go to tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. 
Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI, 220099